In our culture, there is perhaps nothing more shameful than cowardice. And so when it was reported that the officer at Stoneman Douglas High School waited four minutes to go into the school where an active shooter was, everyone, it seemed, was outraged. How could he do that? How could he stay outside when such terrible things were going on inside? The officer himself says that he was following protocol, that he thought the gunfire was outside of the building, and so he followed protocol of, of what he would do if the shooting was outside. And that's why he says he didn't go in. My concern here isn't so much whether or not he did the right thing, but the response to what was perceived as cowardice. Cowardice is not tolerated in our society. David French wrote an article in the National Review shortly after the incident saying we should never justify cowardice, but perhaps we could understand it. Listen to what he says. There is a world of difference between stating that cop should have intervened and puffing out your chest and declaring, I would have done better. You can imagine the kind of person you want to be and you can dream of being a hero, but many imaginary warriors have turned tail at the sound of guns. Simply put, you don't truly know how you'll respond to a crisis until you've been in a crisis. He goes on, When every molecule in your body is screaming for you to live, to protect yourself, it takes immense strength to expose yourself to mortal danger. Simply put, until you've felt true fear, you don't really know how you would react. We often overestimate the quality of our own virtue. We tell fish tales about our courage or about our honesty or about our humility. And is it possible that we also do this when it comes to our own loyalty and faithfulness to God? Do you overestimate your own faithfulness in spiritual things? Your own righteousness? Where does your faithfulness come from? Is it from your own innate goodness? Is it just because that's the sort of person you are? You are a faithful and loyal person. Well, from our passage this morning, I hope to show you that the faithfulness to God doesn't come from within a person. Rather, faithfulness comes from outside of a person. Faithfulness to God, righteousness toward God, loyalty toward God doesn't come from within us. It comes from outside of us. In particular, it comes to us from God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can now begin living with faithfulness to God in the midst of this sinful world. As we walk through this story of Jesus' resurrection, I want to draw out for you a few things. Two obstacles that we'll see to living with faithfulness before God. Two obstacles, and then two gifts from God to help us begin living with faithfulness to Him. So two obstacles and then two gifts. Look at our passage with me. Mark 16, 1-8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. 
And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Father, we come to your word now, asking that you would speak to us by it, that you might work in our hearts to help us overcome these obstacles to faithfulness in our own lives and that you might grant us faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First, I want you to notice the characters in this account. We only see four individuals, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, and the young man dressed in a white robe. Now, in the book of Mark, we also see these women in chapter 15, verses 40 and 41, it says, they, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many uh, other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. They're watching him from a distance on the cross. We also see these women in chapter 15, verse 47. They saw exactly where Jesus had been laid. At some point, they had bought spices to anoint him according to the custom of the Jews. But there was one thing they hadn't figured out yet. They had been following him all this way, but they hadn't figured out who will move the stone away for, from, for us. I have to wonder if it came to their minds. You know, I bet Peter, the rock, and the disciples, I bet they're strong enough. They could move this stone if they were with us. Where were they anyway? How interesting it is that the men who enjoyed the closest fellowship with Jesus were nowhere to be found. But these women refused to leave him. They refused even to leave his dead body. So their courage and their loyalty are to be commended here in contrast to the disciples who were nowhere to be found. They had fled. However, we also must note that their faith is a bit immature. They didn't understand all that Jesus had said about his own death and resurrection. They thought this was the end of the story. We're we're going to go, go anoint his dead body, as he should have been anointed. They're surprised and confused when they get to the tomb and the stone has been moved away. It was a very large stone. They go into the tomb and they see a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Now, from the other Gospels, we know that there were angels in the tomb. But Mark gives us the point of the view of the women. There's a mystery about who this figure is. And the text says they were alarmed. Can you imagine that? And there's some range of meaning for this word expressing amazement or alarm or distress. It points to 
an intense heightening of emotion. So imagine whether you're in under intense distress, whether you are greatly frightened, it's some sort of intense emotion. Well, think about how you would feel if you walked to, into a room that wasn't well lit, you're expecting nobody to be there, and you feel like somebody's watching you out of the corner of your eye, and there's a young man just sitting there being creepy. You'd be alarmed, right? How many of you have a friend who likes to scare you? Okay, I'm that friend. I enjoy doing that. Jason raised his hand because that's me. I did it just the other week at, at CCC. One of their interns was in this new office, and it has a full glass. And I just walk up, and I just stand there and look at him. And he was freaked. He was totally freaked out. He was alarmed. There was this intense emotion of alarm. And this is what's happening here. I mean, this is scary movie-level stuff. The young man says, do not be alarmed. And I felt like saying, how could we not be alarmed? What are you doing just sitting here? Frightened us. And look what he says to them. Jesus, you are seeking of Nazareth. Now, literally, it says the crucified one. This is whom they're seeking, the crucified one. Here's why I said the women were still a bit immature in their understanding and in their faith. It is true they longed to stay with Jesus. It is true that they were seeking Jesus, but they were seeking dead Jesus. They were seeking the crucified one. I wonder which Jesus you are seeking this morning. Which Jesus you are following. Yes, Jesus died, but he has been raised and he is alive. Consider what this means for your own relationship to God through Jesus Christ. We don't serve a dead Jesus. We do not seek a dead Jesus. We do not trust a dead Jesus. He has been raised from the dead. And if we go through life understanding this, it adds whole new meaning to our gatherings together for church. It adds a whole new meaning to our own reading of God's word and praying to Jesus, to God through Jesus. It changes everything if Jesus is alive, friends. Consider your own relationship with Christ. I mean, has, has your relationship, has it felt like it's gone stale? Like you're just speaking to yourself when you pray? Maybe you've lost sight of this, that we are, we are serving a living Lord. And the fact that Jesus is alive means there is nothing to fear. There's no need to be alarmed, just as the young man said. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have no need for fear. You see, this is the first obstacle I wanted to show you into living with faithfulness before God. Fear is an obstacle to living with faithfulness before God. Fear is what made the disciples flee. Jesus' side. Fear is what made the women flee the tomb in fear. They were frightened. Fear is what made them keep silent about this message, even though they had been commanded, go tell. Fear is what kept them from faithfully carrying out that which, what, that which they had been given. So, what fear is holding you back from living faithfully before God? For some of you, Maybe you are an unbeliever. You haven't made that step to trusting Christ. You haven't fully embraced Him. You haven't taken the plunge and finally become a Christian. You're afraid of what you'll have to give up. 
You're afraid of missing out or losing your reputation. You're afraid it will be incredibly dull to be a Christian. What are you afraid of? But, of course, you have to recognize that if Jesus rose from the dead, all of those are tiny, pitiful excuses for not embracing him. For others of you, for believers, maybe your fear is like that of the women. You've been given a message, but because of your fear, you don't share that message. You can't remember the last time you spoke to someone outside of your family and outside of the church. You spoke to someone about Jesus. You're afraid of being mocked or laughed at, or maybe you're just afraid of that awkwardness that will come when you bring up something like Jesus. Those fears are keeping you from being faithful to what God has called you to do. Don't you think that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is great enough to overcome those fears? Those who don't know Christ won't experience the power of Jesus' resurrection. They won't share in that great resurrection when he returns. And don't you think that's a big enough reason to push those fears aside and speak of the name of Christ? If Jesus can overcome the grave, can't he also overcome the little awkwardness we would feel in speaking of him? Well, I wonder what else you might be afraid of. Some fear that's keeping you from living with faithfulness before God. Living obediently before Him, trusting in Him for His goodness. But whatever it is, the resurrection overcomes all that. Do not be alarmed at the trials you see in this life. Do not be alarmed at suffering or persecution or sickness or even death. Because Jesus is no longer in the grave. He has been raised and He is alive. Now, because the women refused to leave Jesus, they received the benefit of being the first to hear the good news of Jesus' resurrection. But they don't quite understand everything, and they're alarmed at what they see and what they hear. Let's give a bit more attention to the instructions the young man gives to these women. Verse 7, look at that. Go, he says, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Turn back in your Bibles to Mark 14, 27 to 31. After the disciples had the Passover meal together in the upper room, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And verse 27 is where we see Jesus saying what he said I, he would, he would, that would happen. Verse 27, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus foretells. God will strike the shepherd, that is Jesus, and the sheep, that's the disciples, will be scattered. They will all fall away just as it is written. But this first part stumps Peter and the disciples. Right? It's like when you don't hear the second thing your friend says because you're still caught up you're still trying to process the first thing you said. It just blew your mind, and you didn't even hear the second half of it. This is what happened to the disciples, it looks like. And Peter says, look at what Peter says, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. 
But that wasn't good enough for Peter. He emphatically says, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now Peter gets a bad rap, but notice they all said the same thing. All the disciples said this. They all said the same thing. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. In verse 50, when Jesus is arrested, we read, And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him, notice this, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So this man could be called the gospel streaker, right? We don't know exactly who he is. Maybe it is, some have said it's Mark himself referring to to his own fleeing of Jesus, or maybe it's some other disciple. But I think it's included to show that even this one who is trying to follow at a distance, even he ran away. They all ran away from first to last. Well, consider this for yourself. What are the limits of your own loyalty to Jesus? Had you been there? Had you been a disciple of Jesus? How would you have responded when things turned bad? Would you have turned tail and run, or would you have stood up and walked the path to the cross with Jesus? To this question, some of you might respond with confidence and pride, Your answer came quickly in the affirmative. You bet I would have stayed with Jesus. You love Christ, and so there's no doubt in your mind what you would do. You would stay with Jesus. You would be faithful to Him to the very end. You would make good on what Peter and the disciples said. Even if I must die with you, I will stay with you. Others of you are a little more uncertain. You think, if I'm honest, I don't know what I would do. You think, I hope I would not abandon Jesus, but sometimes my faith seems so weak. My loyalty seems to falter. I can't go a few hours without sinning and turning my back on Jesus. How would I I stay with him in something like that? And if it came down to risking my life to follow Jesus on the way to suffering and death, I just don't know what exactly I would do. Well, friends, if that's you, you are in good company. This was not the attitude of the disciples at first, but after, after they denied him, after they fled from him, they recognized their own weakness. They recognized their own unfaithfulness. You see, I think the second obstacle to living with faithfulness before God is our own self-confidence. It's our own self-reliance. If we want to be faithful to God, we'll first have to recognize our own inability to be faithful to God, to be loyal to Him in and of ourselves. Until you're in a humble state, you won't be ready to hear the good news of Jesus' faithfulness for you because you'll be so focused on your own faithfulness, supposed faithfulness to God. That's what the the disciples were all about, their own faithfulness, weren't they? They needed to become uncertain of themselves before they could really begin to be faithful to Jesus. 
So friends, do you need to be brought low this morning in your own self-reliance, in your own self-confidence? Brothers and sisters, in what ways are you still clinging to your own self-confidence, to your own supposed faithfulness? Your self-reliance is an obstacle to living with faithfulness before God. For a life of faithfulness is a life of dependence upon God. Trust in God. And you can't trust God if you're trusting in yourselves. So the scripture tells us, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. The bad news is that our self-confidence keeps us from living with faithfulness before God. But the good news is that God has provided for our failures. The young man's message to the women is good news. Notice this. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. In other words, I want to meet those who deserted me. I want to be with them. I'm going to meet them in Galilee and I'm going to restore them by my grace. Though they don't deserve it, though they haven't earned it, I'm going to offer them forgiveness and reconciliation with me. And while we're at it, take note again of this young man that's sitting in the tomb. Some scholars think that the presence of this young man is also an illustration of of God's transforming grace. See, the only other time we see this term, young man, are in those two passages we just looked at. Back where we read about the young man fleeing naked from those who had seized him, and here, the young man in the tomb. And in both places, there's an emphasis on clothing. There was the linen cloth, and here is a white robe. Now, this is not the same person. So the one in chapter 15 is Jesus' disciple, and this young man in the tomb is more likely an angel. But Mark chooses his words in such a way that he wants us to make a connection here. This is a picture of the transforming grace of God to those who have been faithless to Jesus. A disciple who fled Jesus in shame is now pictured as a restored follower of Jesus to a place of honor. And he is one who faithfully proclaims the good news of the risen Savior. And this is what will happen to all of his disciples. And here we see the first gift to help us live with faithfulness before God. It is the gift of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift which God gives to help us begin living with faithfulness before God. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that in Christ Jesus, all of your sins have been forgiven? They're gone. They are wiped clean. You are presented to God as one who is spotless because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ for you. What is it that turned the cowardly disciples into courageous apostles in the book of Acts? Well, one answer is forgiveness. They were forgiven. It's funny, you might think that failure plus forgiveness equals more failure. But the math of grace works in surprising ways. In God's way of working, failure plus forgiveness equals faithfulness. Greater faithfulness to Him. The grace of God in forgiveness melts away our failures and forges within us a heart of faithfulness. 
Remember what 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithful, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Forgiveness is a gift of God to help us begin to obey him and live a life of faithfulness. But our story concludes in verse 8. Look at what the women do after seeing this great sight and hearing this great news. They went out and fled the tomb. Fled is the same word used of the disciples. They fled in fear. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Their silence, we know, was temporary, right? For how else would we know the story from them? We know from the other Gospels they eventually did tell. But immediately after seeing this thing and hearing these things, they, like the disciples before them, flee in fear. Now listen to this. Those of you especially who have great pride in your own loyalty and and confidence or in your own faithfulness, if Jesus' very own disciples failed in their loyalty to Jesus, if the women who were with them all the way to the tomb failed to be faithful, do we think we would be more loyal to Jesus than those who were with him? Are we doomed to repeat their failures? What hope do we have? Those who saw Jesus in the flesh, who hugged him, who held his hands, turn their backs on him. So what hope then do we have? How could we possibly succeed where they failed? Proverbs 20, verse 6 again, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love but a faithful man who can find. Thankfully, we have found that faithful man in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not tied to our own faithfulness or our own courage or our own loyalty. If it was, we would be done for. Our hope is in the faithful man that we have found, Jesus Christ. Our hope is not tied to our own faithfulness, but to the faithfulness of Jesus. For he suffered and died to save us. He didn't flee the cross in fear, but he set his face toward Jerusalem. He set about his task with courage and faith in his Father, and he was raised for us. And because of his resurrection, listen, he has imparted his life to us by giving us the Holy Spirit. This is the second gift from God, which helps us in our faithfulness, which helps us truly begin to grow in faithfulness to God. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live faithfully for God's glory. It's the Holy Spirit. He is a seal. He is a down payment. He's the guarantee that we will persevere until the end. You see, our faithfulness, our loyalty, isn't found by looking within us to our own strength, but by looking to the one who has put his strength, his Holy Spirit within us. So, John 16, 7. You probably know this passage. Jesus tells his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. In other words, that I'm no longer here in the flesh with you. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And in verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth. Why is it an advantage to the disciples that Jesus goes away? Because after Jesus goes away, he sent the Holy Spirit to them. 
the helper. And he would not only be the presence of God with them and beside them, he would be the presence of God within them. In Galatians 5.22, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and what? Faithfulness, and then self-control. Faithfulness is the... Uh, a fruit that the Spirit of God is producing in you, brothers and sisters. Have you been born again? Have you been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God? Then the Holy Spirit is producing within you faithfulness. What is it that changed the faithless and fearful disciples into becoming faithful and courageous apostles in the book of Acts? It was that they had something they didn't have before. The Spirit of the living Christ was within them. And brothers and sisters, that same Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit which raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also. So this is how you will live with faithfulness before God in the midst of this fallen world. Not because you won't face fearful things. Not because you won't, not because you in yourself have what it takes to be faithful but because you have been forgiven by the grace of God in Jesus Christ and because the Spirit of God dwells in you and is producing this fruit in you. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can live with faithfulness before God in the midst of this fallen world. So listen, we will face obstacles. You will face obstacles in the coming days and weeks and months and years. The rest of your life, as long as you live, you will face obstacles. You will, be faced, you will face fear. You will face your own self-confidence again and again. But armed with the forgiveness of God and the Spirit within us, we cannot fail. And I don't say this in a prosperity gospel sort of way. I'm saying it in God has sealed you with His Holy Spirit if you have been born again and He will never let you go. The Spirit is the guarantee that you will persevere to the end. Those whom God has called, He has also justified. And those whom He justified, He also sanctified. And those whom He sanctified, He also glorified. Past tense, it is as good as done. And it is all bought for us by the blood of Jesus and His resurrection from the dead. Let's give thanks to God.